0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. God bless you. I welcome all of you. your guests. You're welcome here. If you need a Bible, you know the routine, get your hand up. I want you to get in the Word. You get in the Word and God will get into you. So it's going to be a good morning. Just through the video, you probably see kind of where we're going this morning. Who do you ask advice from? Who do you consult with? So I believe the scriptures will answer that again. Again, if you need a Bible, get your hand up. Go with me once you get your Bible to the book of James chapter 4 is where we'll begin. James chapter 4. You know, when you look at stuff like the screen of Mendigo, I know people have quit their jobs because something a fortune cookie said. Listen, don't don't look to stuff like that. That's why we're going to talk about what we're going to today. And I got to go to, to, to God, go before God, and God will God will hear you, and God will answer your prayers as you're turning there. Again, if you've been sick, we've been praying healing over you. I know there's been a lot of that going on, healing to you, according to 1 Peter 2. So we speak that over you. And then I know there's ones that have had loss of life here. All the societas, bless you. Uh, Michael Terry lost a grandfather. Bless them. Mike Byers, Mikey, and Sarah, raise your hand over there. He lost his father the other day. And then David Gomez. I don't know if David's here, but... Um, Felix is right here. Felix's grandfather passed away yesterday. I can say this. The good news is they're in heaven. Yeah, you ought to clap about that. That's a good thing to know. So bless all of you. All right. You got your Bible? Go to James chapter 4. We begin in verse number 8. Probably a familiar passage of scripture. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the word draw there literally means to, to ask to seek, to keep on asking. Now, when you notice what he says, they're drawn near to God, this isn't a one-time event. This isn't something that's kind of hit and miss. I do it when I feel like it. Actually, I believe when you see what he talks about here, draw near to God, this needs to become my lifestyle. Whether it's something major or something minor, man, go to God. Draw near to God. Now, let's watch what he goes on to say. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, an interesting statement, but oftentimes if we would look at that, we may have the thought that God was writing to sinners there, but he wasn't. He was writing to believers within the church because in the book of James, on 15 different occasions, he addresses them as brethren. So he says, brethren, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, the word sin there literally means to miss the mark. To miss the mark that God set up. So when I I start missing the mark like he's talking about here, I get off track. And when I get off track, it it affects even my my behaviors and my actions. Now, James 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. And there'll be ones that say, man, we shouldn't even talk about sin. Well, it's interesting, the Bible talks about it. And so again, we need to, to make ourselves aware of this. So God's desire is, get back on track. And he goes on and says this, purify your hearts. And what he's talking about there, that is, it's cross-referenced in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And it says, purify your souls by obeying the truth. So one of the ways that I get back on track in my life is I begin to listen to the Word of God. I begin to read the Word of God. Again, easier said, you get into God's Word and God will get into you. He'll begin to change you. I don't care where you're at right now, it's not too late to do that. And then he ends with an incredible statement and he says, you double-minded. You double-minded and the word double-minded means A a person who attempts to hold on to God and at the world at the same time. He vacillates. And so was he saying the root of the issue is we're double-minded? I'm a saint on Sunday, I'm a sinner on Monday. Was he saying at one moment you're full of, of faith, the next moment you're full of doubt and unbelief. At one moment you're a lover, and another moment you're a hater. And so we vacillate. It's what he's saying, and he's getting over and saying you can't live that way. So I begin to look at it in this sense that throughout the Bible, the analogy is that of a marriage covenant. That we're married to Jesus. We're the bride and he's the groom. And so to have a good marriage, it takes both of you. But I can't vacillate, even in the marriage covenant, I, you know I can't, and my wife's not here right now, but we'll pretend she is. I couldn't pat her on the back and say, I love you today. And then I come home tonight and I say, I hate you. I forgive you this morning, but I unforgive you this evening. And see, if I'm not careful, that's how I treat the things of God. Now, it's very easy for us as the believers to look at God this way and say, you know what, Father God, I'm going to give you two hours on Sunday morning. Two hours. Now, what I do with the other 166 hours of the week I can't guarantee you nothing. Now, if I said that to Shell, I said, dear, you got me. You got me, babe, for two hours. But the rest of the week, I can't tell you what I'm going to do. What kind of relationship would that be? And so again, we begin to look at this on how God looks at us. And guess what? God sees everything I do. God sees everything you do. And so right here in James chapter 4, verse 8, The creator of the universe, God himself, he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Now, what an invitation. And again, I highlight that because it's not too late to draw near to God, but it does become a choice. And if you'll notice, God's like a checker match. And God says, I give you the first move, what you're going to do. Because if you'll choose to draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Now, go with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Being excited about the Word of God is highly advised in here. Amens are highly advised. The more you amen, the better I'll preach, I promise you. I'll get excited. I may even do a cartwheel for you today. Just maybe. Just maybe. All right, we go to the book of Jeremiah. And as you're turning to Jeremiah 2, in, in Jeremiah's life, he had seen some godliness under a, a king named Josiah. And they were seekers and they drew near to God. But something happened in his, in his lifetime. They quit seeking God. They quit drawing near to God. And when that happens, man, I, I get into a bad shape in my life. And so again, i, I got to keep drawing near to God and keep drawing near to God. Jeremiah 2, verse 8. He said... The priest did not say, where is the Lord? The message says, the priest, they didn't even have a thought to ask, where's the Lord? Now, when you see the, the, the priest that he's talking about here, this is within the church. So I think, the priests don't even know where God's at. They don't even care where God's at. So now I have the thought, what were they doing in church if it wasn't about God? So that's the first issue he brings up. The second issue he brings up is he said, and those who handle or teach the law or the word, they didn't even know me. They knew about me, but they didn't know me. So now he's getting over to the relationship they had. So again, if they're not teaching the word, what were they teaching? Next part. And the rulers also transgressed or rebelled against me. So the leadership of the church was rebelling against God. So guess what's going on here? You begin to see this this time within the church, it wasn't good. And then he goes on to say, And the prophets prophesied, or they preached about Baal. Now, what we got to understand about Baal... Bell was rooted in sexual orientation. It was a fertility god that that promoted even male and female prostitution. And so, this was what was being prophesied and preached about within the church. So, it, it ought to give us an idea of what was being promoted with the ch- within the church. Now, to dig into to the to worship of Bell a little deeper... The most wicked or evil woman in the whole Bible was a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel emphasized and promoted all this in her whole life. And so what ultimately begins to take place here is, is they begin to teach and their behaviors were, were taught by the things of Baal. It gives you an idea, the church is in bad shape. And again, when we read this, this becomes a warning to us. So when you look at what he said, the priests, the rulers, and the prophets, they were all disobedient, and the reason they were disobedient is they had quit consulting with God. They had quit getting God's opinion. They had quit preaching out of the Bible. Now, this is where it gets real interesting here in verse 9. Watch what's said here, and this really moved me. It says, therefore... I, Father God, will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. You know what God just said? Because of your behavior. Now, he's speaking to the church. He said, I'm going to press charges against you. I don't know about you, but I don't want the creator of everything to press charges against me. And he didn't do it because they were good. It was based on their choices. It was based on their appetite. You know, when you have a a, a strong body and everything, your appetite's whole. But oftentimes when you become sick, you don't have an appetite for food. Well, one of the signs of spiritually weak or spiritually sick, we quit having an appetite for the things of God. Where are we at? Let me ask you, what do you hunger for? So he goes on to say, And against your children's children, I will bring charges. You know why he was saying that to him? Because of the junk they were teaching their children. And understand this about sin. Sin doesn't disappear. Sin doesn't evaporate. And, and because of the snowball effect of sin, he said, "I'm going to press charges against your children." Verse 10: "For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, look, look at Cyprus. And send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing, such a detestable or strange thing in all the land. Now, when he mentioned Cyprus, that was the people of a western culture, and Kadar was people of an eastern culture. And you know what he just said? He said, among the people of the world, the western or the eastern cultures, I hadn't found anything as strange as this. And this was God's chosen people. Verse 10. 11. Has the nation changed its gods? Which are not gods. You know why he said that? There's only one God. So You know what he's telling them right there? The rest of these yahoos are are worthless. Keep reading. But my people. My people have changed their glory for what does not profit. We've exchanged the glory of God to worship the creation instead of the creator. That's all Romans 1 verses 22 through 25 is where that takes you. And so he's given strong warning. Now when we read this, understand this. This is strong warning to us to this day. Verse number 12. Be astonished. Be shocked, O heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Now listen to what they committed. They have forsaken me. They have abandoned me. The fountain of living waters. They've turned their back on me. And they've honed themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns. That cannot hold no water. They cannot fulfill or sustain. So you see the two evils is number one, they forsook God and then they removed God for something that can't uh, uh, sustain us. And so you begin to sense the grief of Father God's heart. And so this becomes warning to every one of us. Now look at verse 19, same chapter. Your own wickedness will correct you or punish you. And your backslidings, and the word backslidings means you turned back, you turned away, or defected, will rebuke or shame you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing, or evil and bitter results, that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. So you go back and you look. They quit seeking God. They quit consulting in God. And because of it, God said, I'm going to press charges against you. Not a pleasant thought, is it? And so again, every one of us in this room, we have choices. How I draw near to God or I don't. Now go with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles 14. And as you go to 2 Chronicles 14, we were there last week. And if you were here last week, we were in 2 Chronicles 15. When you study the story of this king named Asa, God took three chapters, which was a lot of chapters. Verse 14, or chapter 14 was the beginning. Chapter 15 was the middle of his life. And chapter 16 has to do with the end of his life. Now I can just tell you this. It's not always the way you start, but it is very important how you finish. And so when we read this right here, there'll be great warning in here, okay? Start with me, Second Chronicles fourteen verse one. So Abijah, who was the king, he rested or he died with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place, and his days the land was for quiet for ten years. Now, I'm gonna highlight that a little bit more in a minute, but first of all, we got to go back and throughout the, the Old Testament, when when God writes about these kings it would say one of two things. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did evil or wicked in the sight of the Lord. That's how their life was viewed, okay? And so we go back and we look at this guy named Aza. And I'll give you just a brief history. Asa's great, great grandfather was King David. A man who God said was a man after his own heart. His great-grandfather was Solomon. If you study Solomon, Solomon started out very strong, but he didn't really end very strong. You know why? God warned him and said, don't marry in those foreign women because they'll lead you to other gods, and that's exactly what happened. Then Solomon's son Rehoboam, which would have been Asa's grandfather, he became king. You know what it says about Rehoboam? And he did wicked in the eyes of the Lord. Then we go to... This guy right here who who just died, um, Abijah, and Abijah, it said, he followed the sins of his father, so he didn't do very good either. So now we come upon Asa, and literally what this is saying to me, God said, you know, listen buddy, I know what your granddad did, and I know what your dad did, but what are you going to do? Now that's a question for us today. Because if you go back and look at David's life, it was sprinkled with godliness and it was sprinkled with ungodliness. And so it's as if the Lord is saying, what are you going to do? And when you look at that, it said they did good before God or they did evil before God. I want to highlight that because he didn't say before man. It really doesn't make a flip to God for what you do before man. It's going to come down to this. What do I do before God? So when I read this right here, and you'll hear me in a minute, I'm going to have you to put your name in this story. Because the truth of the matter is, every one of our names are going to be written in some book, and it's going to say, and Philip and Sinus did what was right in the sight of the Lord, or Philip did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And every one of us in this room, we're going to stand in front of God. So when it says they did evil or they did good, the Bible's given me a lesson to say, Lean to what they did good. Learn to what they did good because that's what pleases God. But if they did evil, you don't want to go that way, okay? Verse 2. And Asa and Felix and Stacy and Warren, they did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So again, we get this right here. This young king named Asa... He starts out doing what was right before the Lord. So, what did he do that was right? Verse 3. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places. And he broke down the sacred pillars. And he cut down the wooden images. So, guess what he did? He removed all the junk that led them to sin. Now. With that statement right there, let me ask you a question. Is there debris in your life that you need to remove right now? Now what he was talking about was the false gods. What he was uh, talking about was even the sexual sins that were involved in in their homes and in their lives. Now I can tell you this right here. When he starts preaching this and when you start telling the truth, it'll trigger outrage. Because some people don't want to hear the truth. And it took a lot of courage for him to stand up. Because when you start looking at people and saying, we got to get the sin out of our life. Well, I don't know if you've realized, but in the 21st century, the word sin isn't politically correct. We don't like to use the word sin. I mean, have you ever noticed people will say, well, you know what, I'm having an affair. No, you're in sin. No, no, no. I'm in an affair. No, you're in sexual sin. And so many times we get mad at that, but the proof of the pudding's in the eating. Well, I want the truth. Well, you can't handle the truth. Uh Uh-oh. Pastor, you're preaching good. Let me flip that around a little bit on myself. I've told you about a guy who was very important in my life because he held me accountable. He would say things like that. He'd say, you're living in sin. And I'd say, shut up. Well, two things happened off that. Number one is I knew it was the truth. He really didn't have to tell me I was living in sin. I knew it. And number two, I couldn't whip him. Unless I picked up an equalizer, which I would have. So again, when you see what Asa did, I mean, they, they, they were saturated in this, but he loved them so much, he said, listen guys, we got to get the junk out of our life." Then we go to verse 4. And he commanded Judah, look at this, to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe or purify their hearts with the truth and the commandment. So guess what he does? He does two things. He says, We got to remove this junk, but we got to replace it with God. I don't think anything's changed. So we go back to this. How well do we heed this? Because it's one thing to remove it, but then again, I got to replace it with the things of God. So you begin to see the two things he does right here. He says, We got to get the sin out of our life, but we got to turn to God. And he knew, according to 1 Thessalonians 5 19, don't quench the spirit. That the activities of our life can quench the Holy Spirit. So he says, I command you, obey the word. And he said, command. If you read it, he said, I command you to seek God and obey the word. He didn't say, hey, I highly advise this. He said, I command you. Wow. Same chapter, verse 7. Therefore he said to Judah... Let us build these cities and make walls around them, and the towers, the gates, the bars, while the Lord is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. You can look at a connection here. For ten years they had peace in their life. I don't know about you, how many of you would rejoice at the thought of peace for ten years of your life? Whoo! I'd shout over that. But it's interesting here that when you read the last part, he said, because we have sought our Lord God, we have sought Him, and He has given us rest, and He's prospered us. So you know what this tells me right here? When we begin to seek God, and we begin to look to God, God will give us rest. God will prosper us. But it all has to do with God. Verse number 8. So Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears from Benjamin. 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So you do the math, it comes to 580,000. It says in verse 9, Then Zerah the Ethiopian, he came out against them with an army of a million men And 300 chariots. And he came to Mereshaw. Now you can do the math again. This knucklehead from Ethiopian who's coming against them. He doubles the size. Here's a thought for you right now. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you in here right now. The odds in your life are against you. Everything in the natural says no way. Everything in the natural says it can't happen. The odds are too great against me. Could be at work, could be in your everyday life. You're up against something that you can say in the natural, it seems very impossible. But remember with this, God is the God who takes what's impossible and he makes it possible. So again, when you look at this, if he would have been out in Vegas in the betting odds, the odds wouldn't have been very good. So look what he does when the odds are against him. Verse 11. And Asa cried out to the Lord. That's a novel idea. He cried out to the Lord as God, and he said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power at all. Now get that right there. He said, I, I don't care if it's a mountain or it's a little bitty hill. It doesn't matter. Major or minor, I know it's not impossible for you to God. And so guess what he tells us there? No matter if it's major or minor, shouldn't I go and ask God what God thinks about it? So this is what he does. And he goes on, he said, Lord, nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power, O Lord our God, for we rest on you and in your name. We, we go out against this multitude, O oh Lord. You are God. Now listen to this. And do not let man prevail against you. So he said, We're going to go out and fight, but Father God, don't let man prevail against you. We're coming in the name of the Lord of the host. Watch what God does. Verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Az and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. So guess what you see right here? Something happens when we begin to call on the name of the Lord. I don't care where you're at right now, whatever you're going through, consulting God. Take time to get around God. Chapter 15, verse number 1. Now we were here last week, we're going to read some things again, verse 1 and 2. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Aza, and he said to him, Hear me, Azah. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. You know where that verse is cross referenced to? James 4 8. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, So hear me, Asa, and all Judah, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you seek him, I'm going to move. But if you forsake me, all bets are off, cowboy. Nothing's going to happen for you, okay? Just remember this. Get this on the inside of you is what he's saying. Now we go to chapter 16. Verse number 1. In the 36th year, so guess what? At least 25 years have passed. In the 36th year of reign of Asa, Bashar, the king of Israel, he came up against Judah and he built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So now, this king called Basha, he begins to, to stand against Asa. And he said, basically, I'm more powerful than you. I'm not going to let anybody in or out, and so what are you going to do about that? Verse 2. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house. And he sent ben king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying... Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there has been between my father and your father. See? I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Bashar, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So we look at what this man of God does right here. In the past of his life, when the going gets tough, the man of God seeks God. But Asa doesn't seek God right here. If you look at these three verses, there's not one thing mentioned to him of consulting with God. God, what do you want me to do about this guy who's coming up? Now remember, this had been how he had lived his life previously. He had always gone to God. But now he's not. And remember the warning there in, in 2 Chronicles 15 verse 2. He said, seek me, find me, forsake me, I forsake you. And so instead of going to God, if you read real close, he literally buys this king off. And in verse 2 it said, the silver and gold that he paid him off, it came from the house of the Lord. He strolls back into the church. And he takes what's not his, he takes God's and he says, there you go king. So when you look at what he did right here, it wasn't deliberate disobedience, but he never did go to God. So literally, you know what he did? He did what was easiest in his own sight instead of what was right and going to the Lord. And so you know what begins to happen here? If you'll notice in verse 3, he said, I. I removed this and I did this. So guess where he's coming life? I'm so smart. I'm so clever. I don't need to rely on God. And so he took life into his own hands. Now, an interesting scripture is 1 Peter 5, 7. that says, cast all your care upon God, for God cares for you. And so instead of doing that, he takes matters into his own hand. And you may look, and he, he, just like him, we may think, well, it was little. It wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal to God. How do we know? Same chapter, verse 7. Watch this. And at that time, Hananiah the seer, he came to Aze, the king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Now, when I look at that right there, Verse 7, here's the question to me and you. Who are you relying on? Who are you relying on right now? Do you rely on the, the fortune cookie? I had a couple that was needing marriage counseling. I asked the wife, I said, have you guys gotten marriage counseling? And she said, well, he did. I said, where'd he get marriage counseling from? And she said, he went to a lady who read tarot cards. Wrong. Who do you rely on? Do you rely on on your own wisdom? Do you rely on the wisdom of man? Because he says right here, this is human nature. I'm either going to trust in God or I'm going to trust in man. I'm going to trust in other people. Verse 8. Were the Ethiopians, that was the army of a million. And the Lubium, not a huge army with very much chariots and horsemen. Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Now, verse 9 is a very uh, popular verse. Listen to it real close. With the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, To show himself strong on behalf of those hearts who's loyal to him. Whose heart is dedicated to him. See if this analogy will help you a little. So God, he scans the whole earth. He goes back and forth across the earth. And it doesn't say that his eyes lock in on those who are smart, who have a PhD. Didn't say those who are talented. Didn't say those who are good looking. Sorry, some of you. Didn't say those who are red, yellow, black, white, or brown. It specifically said That his eyes lock in almost like a magnet to those ones whose heart is loyal to him. So now we go back to the previous verse and he specifically said, if you rely on me. So he's looking for ones that say, man, I put my trust in God. I I don't care what man says. I don't care what man's going to do. I'm going to be loyal to the heart of God. I'm going to keep coming around you, God. And I'm going to keep coming around. And he goes on to say, In this, in how lack of loyal you were, you have done foolishly. This king named Aza, he says basically, You're a fool. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars... And the wars are a sign of turmoil. The wars are a sign of there will no longer be peace. And it was direct result from a man who quit relying and quit consulting on God. So now i got to come back and i put myself in the story. And i got to say, okay, where am I at? Is my heart loyal toward God or do I look everywhere else? I trust ABC News more than God. I trust the the newspaper. I I trust the president. You can put whoever's title you want on there. Something's got to happen when we come back to God. So when I read this here, this this seer, which is one who saw into the spirit realm, this this prophet, this man of God named Hananiah, he confronts him. And you hope and pray that when he confronts him, he would fall on his knees and repent and say, I'm so wrong. But watch what happens in verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer. The truth ticked him off. And he put him in prison For he was enraged. He was angry at him because of this. And Ava oppressed some of the people at that time. So you begin to see he became irritated at the truth. He got mad. And so now we put ourselves in the same story. Let me ask you something. When the truth of the Word of God is presented to you, how do you get? Do you begin to make excuses? Do you begin to rationalize? How about this? I'm going to find another church. Well, you're a bedwetter. No, I better not say that. See you again. And my job's not here to blow you kisses all day and give you cinnamon rolls and cookies. And Man, there's times we just got to have broccoli. We got to have asparagus. You know why? Because it's good for you. And my job is to teach you the truth in love. Now, I'm going to teach you the truth in love. You've got to pray for me. I mean, I'm going to teach you the truth, but you've got to pray for me that I'll do it in love, okay? I do it in love because I understand I'm a sinner saved by grace. I wish this whole story changed, but look how it goes on in verse number 11. Note. That the acts of Asa, first and last. Again, it's just not the way I start, but it's how I finish. Now, I want to put some hope in some of you with that statement right there. I don't care where you're at right now. It's not too late to come to God. not too late. Sometimes that means I've got to put down my, my, my arrogance and my pride and say, Lord, I'm coming, I'm coming just as I am. And I believe it's very healthy at times. We look and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I'm coming I'm coming to God. But he never did this. Now keep reading this with me here. His first and his last are indeed written in the book of the kings in Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, He did not seek the Lord. He still wouldn't seek God. You know what that's a sign of? I'm a hard-hearted soul. He starts getting diseased, and you know what he says? I'll turn to man before I'll turn to you, Father God. That stuff will break your heart to read that. Go with me to one last passage. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. You know, as you're turning there, I skipped some things that I said in the first service. Let me say them right here. We all make we all make mistakes, we've all made bad choices, but my reaction to correction always reveals the condition of my heart. Proverbs twelve one says, "He who hates correction is stupid. I didn't say that, okay. Proverbs said that. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, don't detest his correction. Who the Lord loves, he corrects. Proverbs 10, 17 says, he who refuses correction will go astray. Is that me, Lord? See again. You know what I found out about life? The only one I'm responsible for is me. When I get to heaven, the Lord's not going to say, hey, Stormy, how would you think... Felix did. Well, Father God, how'd you think Philip did? No, all God's gonna do is say, "What'd you do?" Now, what I found out in life: yesterday's over, tomorrow's not here, so all I got's to today. So I've got to make my today's count, and I better finish. Let me get to Isaiah fifty-five, verse number six. Now, this this is what we've talked about to a T today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and God will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know what that means? And sometimes i got to walk down to these altars. And i got to come before God and I present myself, as Billy Graham used to say, just as I am. This is how I am. And so again today, you're not here to win a popularity contest. Actually, you got to have this thought. I, I really don't care who's here. I really don't care who's, who's going to see me. I'm going to do this before the Lord. And what I've found out in this thing life, when I become very transparent with how I am right now, Man, God moves. In John 3, he said this. This was the Lord Jesus. He said, those who acknowledge me before the Father, I'll acknowledge them before the Son. But those who, de- uh, those who acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge them before the Father. But those who deny me before men, I will deny them before the Father. That's not just in salvation. That is this right here. And I'm not trying to make some of you nervous coming back here. I'm not going to give you the mic. But when I come walking down here right in front of every one of you and there's an altar call on sin, something happens. Something happens when I'm able to say, I used to be this, but God's still working on me. He's working on me. And what I find out with God with me, He says, you've got some air bubbles still in you. Get back in the oven. We're going to bake on you a little longer. And as long as I'm open to that, as I say, have at it, Father God. You're the potter, I'm the clay. God keeps making me and molding me. I know some of you think I'm perfect. Far from it. Just hang out with my wife for a little bit and she'll tell you. I will tell you this. I love to come to the altars. I come toward God. You come around me, man. You better be careful because there's always debris falling off of me because I'm going to keep repenting and I'm going to keep repenting and I'm going to have God keep working in me. I'm going to draw near to God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.